my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we talk about the decentralized revolution, talking about the way the world is changing as the pendulum swings back from a centralized world to a decentralized world. Of course, we're talking about Bitcoin, which is leading this, and we look at it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, and I like to bring to you each week, you know, some education to help change the way you see this, to help you navigate it better, the latest breaking news. And I like to bring to you some interesting and uh, educated people to help get some different perspectives. So you don't have to listen to me all the time. And that's what we got right now for you today. I got a special guest. Um, I have Adamo. He's, you can find him on Twitter at Denver Bitcoin. He works with a company called Upstream Data Inc., which is a pretty cool company because they are um, doing something that uh, capitalism does. They're taking trash and turning it into treasure. That's what capitalism does. It doesn't waste things. It's always looking for more efficient ways to do things and taking unused assets and creating value out of them. Anyway, Adam, thanks for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. It's, it's great to be on, man. I've listened to a lot of your shows, so this is, this is fun to talk. And I don't think we've actually, you and I have ever you know, spoken at, at any length, so so. Good to get connected. Yeah, we haven't. We haven't. I know we've traded uh, many, many text messages, or I'm sorry, uh, Twitter messages back and forth together. And uh, yeah. of, of, uh, of, 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 I remember even asking you where you live before, always looking forward to a chance where we get together and chat. But uh, but anyway, here we are. So, um, you know, uh, I, I said in the beginning, you know, upstream data is helping people turn trash into treasure. And uh, what I mean by that is that there's a lot of waste going on, um, and you figure out a way to kind of take this wasted energy, this this flare gas, and turn it into something of value. Um, and I think that's pretty important. Um, a lot of times, you know, we're seeing. I was talking about on an earlier segment about how they say that things are a waste. Um, so they a lot of a lot of uh, people talk about Bitcoin and say it's a waste of energy. And I could say that uh, meditating is a waste of your time. However, I choose to use my own assets or you know my own private property. It can't be a waste. That's how I want to do it. Uh, what a waste might be, though, is if I made a bunch of food and then I had to throw it away. I didn't use that food. That might be a waste. Um, and so that's kind of what I see with this flare gas, right? So Bitcoin has to use energy that's already being wasted. It's not actually wasting it. It's actually only using energy that's being wasted. Is that about right, you think? I'd say at the end of the day, 
Bitcoin miners, those who are participating in right, producing new Bitcoin, um, at least for the next 110, 115 years, um, they're most incentivized to use the most economic energy, right? So they're, they're constantly going to be see- seeking out the most economic power on the margin. Um, what I mean by on the margin is, you know, per kilowatt hour, you know, to, to generate. And what we find when, when you consider that reality, when you consider the reality that we now live in a world where anyone who can go and tap into stranded energy, wasted energy, wasted power, stranded power, um, there's a massive opportunity to, to benefit economically. There's a financial opportunity there because we have this autonomous energy consumption market known as the Bitcoin network, right? It's a it's a downstream market. You, you were saying earlier in your show, you were talking about, you know, one of the beautiful aspects of Bitcoin is that it's permissionless, right? You can use it without asking permission and nobody can, can stop that transaction, right? It's an immutable transaction. Well, it's fun to talk about transferring money and having it be immutable. What about selling energy? Because mining is an immutable operation, right? A 15-year-old kid can wake up today. He doesn't have to ask anyone's permission. He doesn't have to make any phone calls. And he can go sell a billion dollars of energy without talking to anybody. So long as he has the infrastructure and the access to the kilowatt hours to do it. Right? When you to say he can sell a billion dollars worth of energy, what, what do you mean by that? What I mean is if, if the Bitcoin network itself, my, the process of mining Bitcoin is merely just an, an autonomous electricity market. Right. It's a effectively what you're doing is you're selling electricity and what you're getting in return is Bitcoin. Now, to be more specific, you're selling computational hash, computational work, right? The, the changing of ones and zeros. Um, but you need electricity in order to generate computational work. You cannot, you know, you can't generate computational work without input. And so um, ultimately what we have is, you know, depending upon the efficiency of the chip, which at this point we're, we're entering into the period of commoditization on the hardware, which... You know, it won't get much, much different than it is now. Um, What we see is there's a standard electricity calculation where any miner today will will talk kilowatt hour prices with you where they say, yeah, you know, my cost is five cents per kilowatt hour. If you're mining with an Antminer S19 Pro right now, each machine's making 17 cents per kilowatt hour, right? So you've got a nice 12 cent margin there. Um, If you were mining last year, like a lot of us were, it got above, you know, 35, 40 cents per kilowatt hour. And so ultimately, this is a downstream energy consumption market. And in oil and gas, you know, what we do at Upstream Data and what, what we've done since 2017 is we help oil and gas producers get their hydrocarbons downstream economically on the margin. And Bitcoin is an amazing tool to do that because anywhere you have electricity, you have the potential to, to sell that electricity to market anywhere you're generating it. And in the oil field, people generate, you know, oil and gas producers have been generating power on site you know, forever, right? They, they generate power on site to, to run their own equipment, to run their pumps. And so that's not foreign to them. Now all they need to do is plug in some computers, take some capital risk, understand that capital risk. But when, And all of a sudden they, they are now effectively selling gas downstream to market. So, you know, it's really just that that as much as it's immutable to, to transact, it's an immutable, it's a truly free energy market. For the first time in the world, we have an energy market that is not puppeted oh, now, by now the United I'm States kind of or anything. Now right? I'm kind of getting where you're going with that because in order to sell your energy to the market, it's not necessarily a free market. So there's all types well, of regulations and hoops that you'd have to jump into to even get that. So a lot of it's stranded where that's too far to even get it into a pipeline or whatever. And even if I could, then there's all types of regulations I have to go through to even sell it to the market. Whereas I could just uh, drill it on my own land, hook up a hook up a couple of rigs, a couple of Bitcoin mining rigs, and I could just sell that energy to market right there i guess is that kind of what you're saying think about it as exporting you're exporting your energy to the bitcoin network and you don't you don't need a license i mean as far as right now right the government doesn't require it but even if they required it you wouldn't need it to actually do this right like you would be successful in your attempt of selling your energy but it's it's a means by which to export because the biggest thing is a buyer mark i mean think about it you you can't sell energy today without somebody buying it unless you're mining bitcoin Right. It was pre-programmed 13 years ago to buy your electricity today. And that's a that's an amazing thing. Right. That's something those in the energy industry couldn't have even have dreamed of. If somebody would have hypothetically discussed something like this, they would have been laughed out of the room. And so the reality is kind of stranger than fiction. And, and where I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting way to look at it. You kind of flip it upside down uh, where I see that as as having a massive impact is going to you know third world countries where they need more energy. I just recently did an interview with um, Alex Epstein, 
uh, talking about the fossil future and talking about how the world needs more energy, right? Um, and specifically in, in these third world countries, but a lot of times they can't go build the energy there because there's not enough people there willing to pay for it. So they, they have no one to buy it to the point that you're making. And so now they can set it up and they have built-in buyers and they can help exactly. offset no, that you- and help scale that. Well, it's, it's the chicken and the egg problem, right? Where some of these communities, I mean, Nigeria is a great, a great example where Nigeria is so rich in energy. It has, I mean, the, the country effectively runs on diesel where they have diesel generators everywhere. They're just businesses run with a diesel generator in the back. But they have very poor grid infrastructure, but, but you're right. I mean, if I go in, you know, even if I'm a humanitarian and I go spend $50 million to, to build power generation in, in a third world country, a place without infrastructure, even if I'm successful in building it and everything's great, I don't have a I don't have a buyer, right? Um, and so the investment is moot. And what you end up having is you end up having these these charitable organizations like the Gates Foundation or something will come on and and they'll go and they'll they'll do a project like this where you know maybe they'll do solar and they'll start trying to, to provide electricity at a loss. But the problem is now you're you're subject to that entity, right? Like that entity, if they go away, nobody else is going to come replace that entity. It's truly charitable with Bitcoin mining. There's a market there. So you can set up infrastructure, you can mine as you scale, and as you build out infrastructure for there to become a demand market, right? So it's that, it solves that really, you know, kind of infinitely long problem. It's such a, it's such a big topic. And, you know, you know, you and I, we spent a lot of time thinking about this, but most people have just never really thought through this and, and what the implications of that means. And they, they grab onto a headline and they, they don't even put any time into it to like think about it. But when you start unpacking it, um, it's not a drag on the world or on society. It's actually probably the biggest gift that it's been given. So I want to dig into that a little bit more when we come back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Adam at Denver Bitcoin on Twitter talking about Bitcoin and the decentralized revolution. I'm going to be back with him and more in a minute, so don't go away. I'm going to be right back. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be to be. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, 
You can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic Gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution that the world is going through right now. I'm joined in the studio by Adam O. You can find him on Twitter, at Denver Bitcoin. And we're talking specifically about, uh, well, energy. That's why it's a big topic. We're talking about Bitcoin uh, mining. And, and before the break, we were talking about how um, Bitcoin is unique because it's, it's, it's permissionless. It requires no permission to join the network or take advantage of it. And so he had brought up an interesting point where um, now it enables an energy producer, someone who had oil or natural gas to sell that without needing permission, no permits or anything like that. But also you have a built-in buyer. You don't have to go find a buyer. And the reason why that's important, if we kind of chase that down, is that uh, we were making the case that the world needs more energy. Alex Epstein was talking about in his book that you have these third world countries who have 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 all this unnecessary death because a, a mother can't even go to the hospital and have a sonogram because they don't have electricity to power the machine or a baby's born maybe prematurely and there's no incubator to put that baby into because there's no electricity and so um while many people are talking against energy today saying that if we don't find a way to curb electricity that the world's going to go into this apocalyptic future and uh for a lot of people, for actually about 3 billion people in the world today, we're already living in that apocalyptic future. And we could solve that, but the problem is, how do you pay, as you as you made the case, Denver, or Adam, even if you're philanthropic like Bill Gates, how do you go in and put that energy there if there's no one there to buy it? And so Bitcoin could allow you to have an instant buyer to offset that, and then people could start tapping into it. And then eventually, as enough people use that energy, you could then remove the Bitcoin piece that was kind of help subsidizing it, and then they could have this energy, and then you could have a whole community there using it, and then Bitcoin could move on to the next place. Is that kind of how you're seeing it? Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of the inverse of what we're seeing in Texas right now, right? In Texas, we see an overabundance of supply of energy, right? There's a lot of flaring going on. I think it's about 40% of the flaring in the United States is, is out of Texas. Um, keep in mind, that's a billion cubic feet a day, okay? Over a billion cubic feet a day um, of, of methane gas. And so, and that's just in the oil field. And so... In and Texas, for those that don't know, when you, you're talk, for those yeah. that don't know, what you're talking about when you when you're getting oil out of the ground, natural gas also, also comes out of the ground, and because of where it's located or for whatever reason, they're unable to capture that natural gas and get it to market. So instead, they just either vent it, let it go into the air, or they burn it and they burn it into the air. Right? Yeah, yeah, they flare it, they burn it, um, and it's typically like you said. It's an, I mean, there's there's not very many oil wells in in the world that don't have associated natural gas, at least a, enough that you know it's it's measurable and it, it's something that would be flared. So pretty much every oil well. Um, has some associated natural gas. And so because of that, like you said, the, the economics are such that, you know, you're not going to build a, you're not going to spend millions of dollars to build a pipeline that's going to make you a dollar a day in gas sales, right? Just you're going to flare the gas. And so in Texas, we see that, we see a ton of that and we see an overabundance of energy supply. And so Bitcoin miners are coming in and they're, they're trying to help provide what they call load curtailment, right? Where grid providers, these very big power generators, it's, it's very costly and, and the economies of scale are, are brutal when it comes to um, generating power, right? Some of these turbine engines, for example, natural gas turbine engines, they take like a day and a half to turn off, like to stop. Maybe you, you flip the switch and turn the engine off, it's still spinning for, you know, 34 hours. And so, you know, these are serious pieces of equipment. And the problem is you can't be very responsive because, you know, it's not like you're just going to shut down a turbine when all of a sudden nobody, you know, everybody turns off their heater, everybody turns off their air conditioning. And so, what they're doing in Texas is miners are coming in and anytime that the grid isn't demanding power that's being generated, they're mining, they're, they're pushing that electricity over to Bitcoin miners. And then anytime those on the grid start demanding, they shut off Bitcoin miners and they, they you know, throw the electricity back. Kind of the, the inverse would be what you just said in a third world country where you'd come and initially you'd only generate enough electricity to power exactly as many miners as you have as you build out infrastructure. And, and again, this would be a decade long process where then maybe slowly you know, you, you go find somebody who wants to manufacture, you know, something like aluminum, 
or some energy intensive process, maybe even another data center of some sort, you find a customer for that electricity, which before you didn't have. And then from that customer, you could say, hey, look, I could I can either increase my energy uh, production or I could take half of my miners and turn them off and I'll push the other power to you. And then now you prove this concept, then you go raise money and you build up more infrastructure. And the next thing you know, you know, 15 years later, people are lifted out of poverty. And ener- I mean, I, I totally agree with Alex Epstein. Energy is the solution to human suffering, at least the majority of it. Uh, energy consumption directly correlates and corresponds to quality of life, length of life, uh, birth rates. And what we're seeing today is that, there, like you said, Mark, there's unnecessary death. Um, it's, and a lot of that death is truly tragic, right? It's, it's upper acute respiratory illnesses that are caused because people are burning dirty wood to cook their food in a poorly ventilated environment and they get a sickness and they die. Whereas if they had a gas stove or heck, even if they had a bag of coal, like they would be fine, right? We would, we would save dozens of millions of people. Um, energy is the solution to a lot of human suffering. Bitcoin being a autonomous demand market, right? An autonomous energy consumption market. And what I mean by autonomous is, is it, it takes care of itself. Like there is, there's no helpline, there's no, um, managerial staff, uh, you know, sometimes like it happened when China banned Bitcoin mining, like all of a sudden the competition on the network can either go up an incredible percentage or get chopped in half. And, you know, if that was any other market when that happened and, and the, the hash rate got cut more than in half, um, any other market, the market czars or the regulators or the politicians would have stepped in and controlled it, right? We've seen it. Yeah, like if, uh, if, if Amazon, and, like half, half of the Amazon web services, a data centers got shut down or something, right? Exactly. Right, like they freeze the stock market. Like they wouldn't, you couldn't trade. But if you were a Bitcoin miner, when that happened, all of a sudden, boom, you were more, you were earning double the amount of Bitcoin that you were a week ago. And it's, it's a land, it's an absolute, you know, foot race to who can get that hash rate back up online until we meet that moment of equilibrium where to generate power now is, is, you know, Bitcoin, mining Bitcoin is not economic enough, you know, to go generate new power for it until the price goes up. And then all of a sudden, you know, it demands more power. So to that point, what I would say is the numbers are really uh, massive where Bitcoin, it justifies a, a multi-million dollar Bitcoin price if we want to see even up 30% of, 40% of the global flare gas be used to, to mine Bitcoin. We're going to need to see a multi-million dollar Bitcoin price. Otherwise, the economics won't make sense for that next person to come in and mine. That's how much energy is wasted every day. Yeah. Of course, uh, who knows how much uh, flare gas we'll have and for how long at the rate we're going with these uh, policies that we have trying to, you know, no, no new investments going into the oil fields. And then and, and that that's a different conversation. But I was thinking about also something you were saying how about a year ago, I'm sure you probably remember uh, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful from the Shark Tank. He came into Bitcoin and he said, Bitcoin's great, but I'm here to fix it. Uh, like every other rich person that comes in, like it's great, but I'm here to fix it. And he, he started this whole Always. conversation that threw the kind of the whole industry into a tailspin. And he said, um, you know, I like Bitcoin. It's good, but I need to fix it because uh, it's all, you know, it's bad for the environment. And uh, we're going to figure out a way where we can mine it and tag it as it's, it's come from clean energy. That's what we're going to do. And then, then it seemed like Elon Musk got involved, and then Michael Saylor got involved, and this mining cancel, and the whole thing just went into this tailspin. Well, this year at the Bitcoin conference, I got to work the news desk with Mr. Wonderful. I sat next to him for a while, and I got to have a conversation with him. And he went from last year, it's great, I need to fix it, we need to change mining. And he told me this year when I was sitting on the desk with him that he's completely changed his mind. I asked him why, and he said, really? He said, Bitcoin's going to save the environment. What? It's going to save the environment because it's pioneering all these other forms of energy, small nuclear thorium reactors, like other types of energy. Uh, I want to, I'll tell you more about that in a minute. You're listening to the Mark Moss show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about capitalism, turning trash into treasure and how uh, we can save the energy uh, market with Bitcoin. I'm talking with Adamo from Denver Bitcoin. We will be back with that in more in a minute. So do not go away. I'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, 
which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast NBA DNA with Hannah Storm digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You are listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about the decentralized revolution. I am joined in the studio with Adam O. You can find him on Twitter, at Denver Bitcoin. And we're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about energy and uh, before we went to the break, I was specifically talking about how I sat uh, on the news desk with Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary, and he went from a year ago saying, Bitcoin, uh, I need to fix it because I can't have any Bitcoin it's been, if it's been mined on this dirty energy, to now saying that Bitcoin is actually going to save the environment. I mean, a crazy 180. And I asked him, and he said, well, because it's going to pine, it's, 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 it's helping to establish renewables. Um, it's helping to pioneer new forms of energy that we might not have before. Um, so maybe small nuclear reactors, things like that. And it's finding much more efficient ways to produce energy. I thought that was a pretty amazing about face. Are you shocked to hear that? <laughs> I'm, I'm way shocked to hear that. I was, I was, ready to jump in. Um, I it took everything to not interrupt you. The That's great news, right? Like that's, that's part of the evolution and that's what I want for the world. And I think it's one of the reasons that I've, you know, I, Alex Epstein, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his. I think he, he's really been out there taking it in the teeth and fighting the good fight um, on, on this energy topic. And certainly when it comes to fossil fuels, hydrocarbons, but th- that's great to hear because what that means is Bitcoin was the rabbit hole that taught I me mean, Kevin Leary, what he's a, you know, everything about, his any introduction he ever gets is about his experience his wisdom his investment i mean he's seen a thousand a million pitches um for businesses and and ideas and yet obviously he still didn't really understand how energy and electricity worked until bitcoin forced him to and you know at upstream data that's 
that's kind of the cascade that we've seen too. You know, I was a customer of Upstream Data. My dad and I invested a small amount of money. And I mean, for the, the amount of money we invested, it's, I mean, it was, it was a joke, less than six figures. Um, and we've, we've mitigated over 20 million cubic feet of CH4 emissions, right? Methane emissions, which are 75 to 85 times more impactful, um, heavier as a gas than carbon dioxide. And it's methane, right? It stinks. It's, it's much more of a, of a waste, in my opinion. So um, what happens with that methane, right? Dioxide, so instead sorry. of it being vented or flared into the system ecosystem, um, you're now putting in it, the natural gas now goes into a turbine or some sort of a generator, um, which then turns it into electricity for the power of the miners. But what happens to the methane? It just doesn't ever no, no, so get methane, released, or does it go to the generator or the turbine and then get released? No, no. So that's the methane is the energy dense molecule. The CH four is the energy dense molecule that you're you're using to to run the turbine. So yeah, instead of going to the flare, where the reason they flare it is because when you combust CH four, the the resulting product is CO two and H two O. It's carbon dioxide and water. It's the same thing that's probably sitting on my microphone right now, right? Um, and so that, what I would call that is, is pretty darn clean exhaust, right? Cleaner than gasoline engine. Um, and so you run into an internal combustion engine. What you find is, you know, if you're burning it through an engine, there's a 99.999% efficiency of burn. Whereas if you're flaring it, it depends on the environment, right? North Dakota can get up to 50, 60 mile an hour winds. You might only find that that, that flare is 75% effective. And so a lot of that methane is just spewing into the environment you know, getting released into the air. Now in Canada, there's a lot of, they still allow venting. So there's a lot of oil and gas producers that are truly, they're not even, they're not even burning it. They're just letting it spew into the air and they're allowed 50,000 cubic feet per day. Um, and so coming in and internally combusting that, there, there's no doubt. I mean, any, any scientist, any geologist would tell you that this is, you know, any chemist would tell you this is better for air quality. Um, not to mention, the, you know, the economic waste of natural gas, CH4, it's a very clean fuel. And it's incredibly energy dense. You know, these small little 50,000 cubic feet of gas can power a 150, 200 kilowatt engine continuously, which is a lot of miners, right? And so I, I, think, I think his coming around is everything, um, right? I mean, every time we deploy another Bitcoin mine, another person is getting educated on maybe they're going, you know, maybe it's an oil and gas producer who's stout on energy and well-grounded, but he's going to go down a financial economic rabbit hole because now he has to go challenge whether or not this Bitcoin thing is, is Mario coin, magic internet money, or, or something real. And so, you know, the more we can deploy, the better. Something else I've been looking at was uh, interesting is like this contrast, or really it's, it's just competition playing out in real time, which is what we should have. And so the United States being a republic, we should have 50 independent states that then can compete against each other, and we can try different ideas. And so we're seeing like New York just putting a ban on Bitcoin mining, and then we're seeing like Texas opening up to Bitcoin mining, even in Fort Worth, mining uh, Bitcoin in uh, City Hall. I love to see that competition aspect. You know, I, I look at it from a Bitcoin perspective, but also, I mean, it's just an attack on uh, it's an attack on energy, but it's also an attack just on freedom, right? I mean, as Americans, like uh, we should be free. It's land of the free, right? And so, like, what is what is New York City doing by banning Bitcoin mining? They're really telling you what you can and can't do with your own computer, and they're telling you what you can and can't do with your energy that you buy, right? If you want to oh, dig yeah, into it. It's going, to be, it's going to be an absolute uh, migration, right? I mean, folks like myself, I mean, Denver, Colorado is one where I'm, I'm concerned because they were one of the first states to ban uh, some of these really high-end gaming computers. Mm, Literally, I saw you that, Colorado, yeah. You, yeah, you couldn't even order these computers, which they weren't even ASICs. I mean, they, ASICs make these things look like, like a battery, like right. nothing. Um, and so... I imagine that I'm not, you know, we could be we could be close to following suit over here or having some, you know, similar legislation. So I, I think it's a terrible thing. Um, I think it's a terrible thing for individual freedom. And, and what you'll find is the, in my opinion, the power markets in those locations, New York City, it's going to become a nightmare. Because here's the thing. While Bitcoin mining, like Kevin O'Leary said, right, it, it incentivizes us to go out and try to try to come up with a new way to generate electricity. Because if it's if it's cheap, right, if it's if it's something like a, a hydroelectric facility where, you know, the water gravity just pulls the water, right? Or, or solar where, you know, there's, there's energy coming, there's input energy that doesn't take any human capital or human requirement. Um, absolutely, it's going to be investigated because now there's an immediate economic benefit. But 
we forget about all the pre-existing infrastructure, right? Every single energy producer upstream is going to be a more efficient energy producer. They're going to be better at getting their energy downstream um, for profit on, on the margin. This, this lifts up all boats, right? This tide lifts all boats uh, with, its, with its use case, right? Ultimately, Bitcoin benefits oil and gas just as much as it benefits a wind turbine. Now, that being said, a wind turbine is a lot less efficient, right? You know, the wind's blowing when no one's demanding. And so there's these, these peaks and troughs. Bitcoin is great for that, but it also makes an oil and gas producer, you know, be able to, to go drill wells where it maybe didn't make sense to drill wells because there's not that much oil and there's nowhere to sell the gas. But now we have somewhere to sell the gas and the oil is kind of the byproduct, right? Where the, the gas is the main commodity, even though it seems to be the, you know, for most of history, it was the the association, it was the, the waste product. And now, hey, I don't care if there's only a couple of barrels of oil in there. I want 100 MCF a day of gas because then I can power this many miners and, you know, we have passive income. And so it's, I think countries like Canada is one where oil and gas producers, the more and more they get squeezed, the more and more they begin to to get, you know, kicked kicked by regulators and, and put down by at least a federal kind of bureaucracy. Um, I think they'll be incentivized to export their, their hydrocarbons to Bitcoin. Countries, right? I mean, the U.S. is putting sanctions on Iran, sanctions on Venezuela, the very energy-rich nations. The United States can't stop them from mining Bitcoin, and now they know that. And so they can take their energy, turn it into Bitcoin, and then go trade with their allies in Bitcoin and settle global trade in Bitcoin. They never entered the U.S. dollar. They literally just completely circumvented sanctions. And so, you know, all the way down from the individual to the nation state, this is going to disrupt energy probably more than finance. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, talk about disrupting finance. I mean, New York, uh, New York is actively uh, trying to get rid of their title as <clears throat> the finance capital of the world. Uh, Wall yeah. Street has, of course, uh, been the finance capital of the world. But through the pandemic, both through being so strict on their regulations and lockdowns and through the crazy high taxes, people decided they had enough and they've been leaving. And so New York has been losing everybody. Wall Street specifically has been losing to Florida, specifically like Jacksonville, Florida. And now we have a new financial system being built and they're specifically writing themselves out of that as well. And so we'll see Darwinism and competition play uh, play out. Um, I have some other questions I want to get into about some of the economics. Um, before we do, we're listening to the Mark Moss Show, I'm sitting down with Adam O. You can find him on Twitter at Denver Bitcoin. We're talking about energy. We're talking about natural gas, we're talking about oil, we're talking about Bitcoin mining, different ways we can use it and ways we can power new technologies. I got a lot more to come back in a minute when I come back. So uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to Ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., we dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to, to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. 
Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back. You're listening to The Mark Moss Show, talking about the decentralized revolution. Of course, we're talking about Bitcoin. I'm joined in the studio with Adam O. You can find him on Twitter, at Denver Bitcoin. He works with a company called Upstream Data Inc., which helps people turn trash into treasure, taking vented or flared gas that could be potentially bad for the ecosystem and turning it into economic energy or Bitcoin. Now, I'm curious, Adam, because, uh, you know, what we've been talking about where you have these, uh, you know, drilling for oil, oil is coming out of the ground, natural gas comes out of the ground as a byproduct product um, for years and even still now um, no one's been capturing that natural gas because it wasn't worth enough when I really first started learning about this it was like two dollars you know was it two dollars a gallon or whatever um, MCF yeah MCF right um, now it's up to what is it eight eight nine per MCF or whatever. Yeah, it's pretty historic, actually. Yeah, $8 an MCF is crazy. Yeah, so it's like crazy guy, which then, of course, changes the incentives around it, which is like, shoot, we shouldn't be flaring this anymore. We should probably do do something with it. Now, but one of there's other issues involved. So it, it's stranded. It could be way out in the middle of nowhere where I don't have pipelines. There's no really way to get it there. It could cost me millions and millions of dollars to get pipelines out there, whatever. But I, uh, what I'm curious about is, is two things. So one... Um, if we're at eight or nine dollars uh, MCF right now, which is to your point historic, but uh, that's actually cheap globally, right? We're about what thirty, thirty-five dollars um, globally, or something like that. I'm not exactly sure where we're at today. Well, I, yeah, I think Europe, because of the whole Russia Ukraine. I mean, Russia's pretty much had a monopoly on Germany's gas, and so um, I think it's probably double, if not. Yeah. yeah, maybe over so, $20 um, MCF. The, U- the U.S. has been somewhat insulated from global pricing because we haven't really been exporting that much. Uh, but it looks like there's quite a few LNG uh, facilities getting put together right now, which we could see within the year start becoming a major exporter, which then could put us into the global price of LNG or or uh, or uh, natural gas. So I guess what I'm curious about is if I could sell it right now for eight or nine dollars MCF, uh, maybe I might be able to sell it for twenty five, thirty five dollars within the year. Um, if I decide that I don't want to sell it and I want to just put a you know, start start mining Bitcoin with it. Do you know how much I'm earning per MCF that way? Of course, yeah, no. Um, it depends on what ASICs you're deploying, right? Okay. Um, because there's because the efficiency of the ASIC will determine how many, how much computational work per unit of gas or per unit of electricity. And so right now, what I can tell you is using the latest and greatest models, you're about thirteen to fifteen dollars an MCF right now. Okay. Um, last year we we saw over thirty five dollars an MCF. Um, we had guys in the oil field back in 2017 that. You know, they were initially earning $10 an MCF. This was back using older generation A6S9s. But then December came around and when Bitcoin ran up to 20000 right, they, they made like, they were making like $88 an MCF. Um, and so at the end of the day, last year, there was a, a big run from the oil field, right? Oil and gas woke up to Bitcoin mining in a, in a massive way, right? Uh, tons of new container or Bitcoin mining kind of companies. All, a lot of oil and gas producers are getting funding and things. And what we, what I think we found was that some, certainly some overcapitalized um, because they were, like I said, they were making $25, $35 an MCF and, and gas was a lot lower, right? Gas was like $250 or $3 an MCF. And so when you're 10Xing on the margin, um, wow, like that's, that's huge. And so the upfront capital 
was was definitely reasonable, com- certainly comparable, if not better than a pipeline. Um, so the investment came in big. Now what we're seeing, like you said, a tightening where maybe that arbitrage is only five dollars in MCF, right? Which is still significant. You know, certainly when you're talking about millions of cubic feet of gas, but it's all about, I guess, that relative investment prag- pragmatism or practicality. Right. I think what we're finding today is certainly there are a lot more oil and gas producers that are willing to invest in a pipeline right now because, holy cow, you know, gas is on one heck of a bull run. Energy is and it doesn't look like it's slowing up anytime soon. Um, but in the meantime, some of them are even looking at mining until that pipeline gets complete. Right. So they're like, hey, we can we can do this on the interim. And then once this pipeline is here complete, we'll move this Bitcoin mine to this well and we'll do the same thing. Um, and so. It, I think that's one big, day, I think that's one big reoccurring theme is that is the portability of the of the demand. Right. Well the portability and the the scale like the the how fine you can get the scale, right? We build at, you know, 180 kilowatt increments for our, our data centers. Like you can be pretty fine-tuned and, and have little pieces, but beyond that, they they're not directly competing, right? I, the way I've always looked at it is, you know, this decade is gonna be spent Oil and gas producers are going to spend this decade trying to figure out the best way to incorporate mining Bitcoin into their upstream operations, right? There's going to be some places where it makes total sense. There's going to be some places where maybe it makes sense for a little while. Um, sometimes when, you know, you're, you're injecting a well. And so it's, it's going to change the way oil and gas producers um, actually produce oil and gas. It's going to change the way they drill, right? Where now a lot of the times in these remote locations, they'll, they'll inject a well, they'll, they'll blast it full of pressure and they'll, they'll try to blow off all the gas because they're really making a crude play. Um, and it overall, the overall production of the well ends up being diminished because of this, you know, kind of this high time preference. Let's get to the oil. We're looking to ROI our investment, right? Time is money. And so now they'll look at it and say, hey, let's slowly inject this well. Let's bleed off the gas. We'll bring every single cubic foot to market profitably. And then we'll, and then we'll make an, you know, an, an attack on the oil and the life span of the well will be increased. The overall production will be greatly increased, right? We'll, we'll find oil and gas producers becoming better stewards of the environment, better producers, merely just because of the incentives that Bitcoin lays out for them, just by giving them a portable downstream market with no counterparty risk, right? No buyer. And so as they begin to understand this, we're, we're on the frontier, right? We're on the bleeding edge. I think we'll look back in 10 years and say like, oh yeah, that was crazy. The first you know half of tw- the 2020s, you know, when, when everybody was still trying to figure out what Bitcoin was and the economics and the numbers of it, um, like, absolutely, we'll, we'll see that because right now it's kind of too hard to tell. Everyone's still trying to figure out what is this thing and what capacity, at what scale, at what frequency do we, do we incorporate it, this into our company. There is nobody really arguing anymore that it doesn't have a place. That's the good news. Um, but I mean, it's getting, oh, sorry, I've got a, I've got a grandfather clock here. Um, <laughs> there, there, there's a, there's, there's no there's no denying that it has a place. Um, it's just a matter of at what scale. And is this going to be long lasting? I think some guys are still waiting for Bitcoin to fail. They're waiting for this to be like a boom and bust kind of a situation. Which, 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 so far, uh, which brings you know. me to a question that I had, because it seems like for the last two years, we've kind of had this almost perfect storm for Bitcoin miners, where from March 2020, we saw Bitcoin, you know, in the high, uh, you know, $3,800, $4,000 range, and then run all the way up to 70000 And as it's running from 3000 or 4000 to 70000 which is an amazing run, at the same time, you know, I had half of the mining get taken off the network so you kind of had this like extraordinary event where like all of a sudden you had this uh, massive difficulty drop so all the miners were uh getting more rewards because less people were mining and the price of bitcoin was going up crazy at the same time so it was like the last two years kind of this perfect storm but now i'm looking at it and i see all these publicly traded companies that have raised hundreds of billions of dollars to start build giant uh, Bitcoin data centers. Um, and so we s- potentially going to see massive amounts of hash power come on the network, um, which means lower rewards for everybody. What do you think happens in the near future uh, with Bitcoin mining uh, in regards to that? You know, I'm more, I'm, I'm not as bullish on competition growing uh, relative to, to, to where we're at because we are at such a massive size now, um, you know, for anybody that's, that understands the reference, it's we're at 220 uh, exahash or 220 million terahash, which using the latest and greatest, most efficient machines, um, you still need 25, 30 megawatts per, for 1 million terahash or for 1 exahash, right? So if you need 30 megawatts for 1 exahash and you if you want to double the network, right? Well, 
to go from 200 to 400, we're, we're seriously talking about six gigawatts of power, right? That needs to come online and continuous power that needs to come online without anything else getting shut off. So we're at such a scale now that, that in my opinion, if Bitcoin's price does what it has done historically, it, it will, there will be a lot of froth in the mining rewards uh, market for a long time. Because yeah. if we, if say, for example, if we, if we went to $100,000 in the next 90 days, if we had a crazy, you know, run up to 100,000, I would bet all the Bitcoin I own that there is no way um, the hash rate could triple even in five years. Right. So Four years, maybe. Like so it's, you're it's looking a power at both game. of those. You're trying to gauge where's the hash rate going to go, but also where's the price going to go. Um, you're listening. You're listening to the Mark Moss Show. I'm in the studio with Adam O from at Denver Bitcoin on Twitter. We've been talking about what happens with the energy market, specifically how does Bitcoin fix it, not waste it, but fix it. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed that conversation. Give uh, at Denver Bitcoin a follow on Twitter. I'm number one, Mark Moss. That's what I got for you today. All right. Thanks so much for listening. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Johnny B. Good, the host of the podcast Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin. This podcast dives deep into the story of Ray Trapani and his company, Centratech. I'll explore how three 20-somethings built a company out of lies, deceit, and greed. I've been saying since a very young age that I was going to be a millionaire. If someone's like, oh, what's your best way of making money? I'm like, oh, we should start some sort of scheme. Listen to Creating a Con, the story of Bitcoin, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.